Welcome to episode 115 of the Women of the Military podcast. This week, I'm doing something different, and I interviewed six authors about their books. They are either women veterans, or they wrote about women veterans, and I wanted to highlight the books that they wrote, how they wrote their books, and what their books are about. So it's a little bit different this week, but I thought it would be fun to change it up and try something new. And to make it even more exciting, I actually have all these video interviews on YouTube, and you can check them out, and I'll put a link in the show notes so that you can go and find the Women of the Military podcast YouTube channel. Right now, I'm putting all the interviews on without video, except for this one, because I just did this one recently, and I asked all the authors if they would be willing to be on camera. And so you can now listen to Women of the Military podcast on YouTube, and you can watch this video on the YouTube channel, and so I'll link to it. So if you want to watch the video instead of listen to it, you can do that. And I hope you all enjoy this episode, so let's get started. of the Women of the Military podcast. Here you will find the real stories of female service members. I'm Amanda Huffman. I am an Air Force veteran, military spouse, and mom. I created Women of the Military podcast in 2019 as a place to share the stories of female service members past and present with the goal of finding the heart of the story while uncovering the triumphs and challenges women face while serving in the military. If you want to be encouraged by the stories of military women and be inspired to change the world, keep tuned for this latest episode of Women of the Military. guest is Laura Colbert. She served in the Army National Guard and deployed to Iraq in 2003. She was a guest on the Women of the Military podcast in episode 87, and I'll link to it in the description. She had one of the most popular podcast episodes for 2020, and I'm excited to talk to her a little bit more about how she wrote her book and the challenges she faced and advice she has for women today. Welcome to the podcast, Laura. I'm excited to have you on to talk about your book, Sirens, How to Peace Standing Up. So can you tell us a little bit about your book? Sure. So here it is. Uh, the original title was How to Peace Standing Up because I had to teach myself how to pee standing up in a war zone. Because when you're in uh, an urban fighting environment, you can't just pull on your pants and go like I would be able to go in the woods and I can't knock on somebody's door to use their bathroom because they could be the enemy. But when you get an editor or a publisher, they obtain rights and then they have the ability to change the name of book. And my editor really liked the name Sirens because it exemplifies military police, even though we didn't have sirens on our vehicle. When you think of police, you can think of sirens. Also, for any women who served overseas, you know that if you're with a lot of men, it's almost like you have this provocative nature within you or this power to lure the men towards you because you are a very low ratio of, there's a very low ratio of female to, to males in the military. So almost like sirens and especially to the Iraqis who are not used to westernized women. And also, at the end of the book, I talk about post-traumatic stress, and so there were, it's like there were sirens going off in my head. So it all ties together, and there's multiple facets. But yeah, it's about my experience at war and coming back home and dealing with post-traumatic stress. Yeah, that's interesting because when I thought of sirens, I thought of the sirens that go off when 
incoming. And so when I read the book, that's that's what I thought of. And it's interesting that there were all those different layers into it. Yeah. And I never really thought of sirens going off because I don't know if they ever did go off. We would just get a over the radio gear up type of call or get, get cover, but we wouldn't really hear an incoming siren, you know, bombing raid or anything like that. Interesting. That's interesting. Oh, so much about how like the war changes based on when you go and what yeah. your experiences. Yeah, yeah. We, were, um, we were definitely at the beginning when before there were many things established. So why did you decide to write a memoir about your experience in Iraq? I journaled the entire time. And this is, this is a journal, or this is a chronological order of things that occurred. I did take out the boring bits and the monotonous parts and left the exciting things or the things that readers might want to read about. And the whole time I was there, as I was journaling, I was thinking, hey, if this war turns into something, I'm going to have historical evidence of what happened. And when I got home, everybody I talked to about my experience kept urging me to write a book since I had two full books, journal books filled with memories. It's not like I was going to grasp at straws or make stuff up. It was all there. So I slowly took those journals and made them into digital format. And then finally, 13 years after I got home, I finally found a publisher and editor who helped guide me to the next step to get my book out almost a year and a half after we started hitting the the road. And through that process, did you learn anything about yourself, like going back through those books, especially after dealing with PTSD and reading through them on the other side of the experience? Yeah. Oh my gosh, so much. Well, first I learned that I'm a horrible writer <laughs> and I had to eat a lot of humble soup, but my editor helped a lot and I, I feel like I grew a lot in how I, how I use my correspondence and how I essentially write. Right. Um, I also, you know, you mentioned opening up those journals again, but because in 07, I had all put them all in a digital format. I didn't open up my journals a whole lot in the writing process, but there were a few times I wanted to check my facts. And when I opened up my journals, I was just overwhelmed with that feeling of post-traumatic stress. And I couldn't believe how intoxicating that was when I touched something like that. It had pictures of my family on it that I had put on there when I was deployed and like just the smell and the dirt smudges and all those things just brought back floods of emotions and memories. So that was really interesting. And then writing about my post-traumatic stress, there were many, many times when I was writing and tears were just falling down my face. I felt okay writing. But I, the, that pressure from those emotions and that sense of fear and alo- alone, loneliness just pushed through. Yeah, that's really interesting and really powerful. Mm-hmm. What do you hope people learn from reading your memoir? Well, you know, I wrote it before women were officially on or signed on to the front lines or that my intention was to get it out there to prove that even though we weren't supposed to be or people didn't assume we were on the front lines, we completely were. I was a military police officer training Iraqi police officers. We also were put on missions with the infantry to help break down, knock down doors and bust into homes. And I played a whole G.I. Jane scene in this book of me actually um, trying to find weapons that after they're shooting at us and I was the woman who would or I was a soldier going through the doors yelling clear and busting the next door down and yelling clear with my pistol out in my hands and so it was just like here's reality it's not what a lot of you think and also this war in itself was not presented over media as well as 
certainly World War II, definitely not as well as Vietnam. And it was almost like it was forgotten while it was going on. I mean, the Afghanistan war is still occurring and there's still soldiers in Iraq and we so rarely hear about any of it. Right. So I just thought it'd be really great for everybody to hear. Multiple other reasons, but those are the main ones. Yeah, if you want to know more of the reasons, you have to go back and listen to your podcast episode. And I'll <laughs> link to that if people want to do that. Do you go about publishing your book? Well, I struggled a lot. I Because when I had it in that digital format in 07, I kept trying to come back to it. But when it was just me, I was getting stuck and I didn't know where to go next. I had a few friends who were English teachers or people who had written books and said, hey, can you take a look at this? And we'd get, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 pages into it. And then life would take back over again and I'd I'd give it up. So I was talking to another, actually a Vietnam veteran who wrote his own book and he recommended his publisher and editor, which is Warrior Publishing Group. And so I reached out and she agreed to be my editor and publisher. And once that happened, that's when we really started moving forward. So I feel like it was fate or luck or whatever you want to call it, but it kind of fell into my hands. I had tried to find my own editor and publisher way back before the internet was big. And, <laughs> and I was like going to the library and looking through this thick stack of who to, who does military memoirs and trying to send out book or my... um you know, cover page or whatever, and it just wasn't successful. Yeah. And I'm in my own process of working with a publisher. And when you were talking earlier about how like you're a bad writer, not that you're a bad writer, but you know, like I met with the publisher and they're like, this is great, but you also need to start over. So that like humble pie, whereas like they were like, this is great, but you also need to start over. I was like, wait, how does that make sense? But now like I've been working with them and they were right. Like it was a great idea and a great start, but I did need to start over and I can pull stuff that I've written into it as I'm working through it, but Mm -hmm. their help has really helped. So what advice would you give to someone who is considering writing their own memoir? Well, I would definitely say do it because even if it doesn't go anywhere, you have this precious piece of history and, you know, pursue or find people who have written them too, because that helps, because you can always get talking points. You might find an editor or publisher through them, right? But definitely just get started. It's just sit down one day and get started and, and take little baby steps, make little tiny goals, and before you know it, you'll be there. But certainly, I mean, you've got both of us on this on this video now that you could reach out to and say, hey, what did you do? Or can you connect me with so-and-so? And that's just, that's a really great first step. Thank you so much for your time. And um, where can people go and get your book if they want to order? Besides that, I'll have it linked in the show notes. <laughs> yeah, it's on it's on Amazon and Walmart.com and, and a lot of, and um, Barnes and Noble. I am also, I finished my Audible version, my, my audio book. And it was supposed to come out in December, but I think because of COVID and all these weird random delays. It hasn't officially come out yet, but it should be coming out on Audible very soon. And it is read by me. So you can definitely hear a lot of the emotion as I'm reading it throughout the book. And sometimes I offer little quips and side stories as I go. That sounds really great. I feel like I've never listened to an audiobook, but now I want to. <laughs> well, yeah, it's it. that's what I like to do when I drive. So yeah, it was fun to make. That's awesome. Thank you again so much for your time and for for writing your story to share it with all of us. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me. My next guest is Erin Miller. She did not serve in the military, but her grandmother was a wasp, and she 
wrote a book about her grandmother, and it came about because when her grandmother died, she was not given permission to be buried at Arlington, and her family felt it was important to honor her legacy of service and work to get a law changed so that she could be inurned at Arlington. The story is fascinating because she includes stories from her grandmother's history as a wasp, what it was like to grow up knowing that her grandmother was a wasp but not knowing that much about what that meant, learning the inner workings of Congress and what it takes to get a law changed, and just to hear the experience of how this event affected her family and women who served in the military. I really enjoyed getting to talk to Erin about how the process of the book came about and what challenges she faced. So let's listen to what she had to say. Welcome to the show, Erin. I'm excited to have you here. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to see you again virtually. Yeah, virtually. So I got to read your book, I guess not last year, but two years ago. And let's talk about what your book is called and a little bit about a short summary of what the book is. So my book is called Final Flight, Final Fight, My Grandmother, the Wasp, and Arlington National Cemetery. And here it is. A, the true story about uh, my family who fought to get a law passed in Congress so we could bury my grandmother in Arlington National Cemetery. And my grandmother had served during World War II with the Women Air Force Service pilots who were the first women to fly military planes for the United States. And why did you decide to take your notes and your experience and make it into a book? Well, during the process of lobbying Congress and doing media interviews, which is part of the story, a lot of people would say, this would make a great book. This story's great. You know, things like that. And I'm like, yeah, it would. And then I would kind of just keep going about my business. But then after the law got passed and things quieted down a little bit, I looked and saw all these notes and thought, yeah, I could probably write a book about all of this. And people, people were interested. So you know, I thought, why not try to do it? And I sat down and, and wrote the book. Yeah, I'm really glad you did because <laughs> it's a good mixture of history along with like the legislative process of how to get a law passed. And like, it's, it's really fascinating. Yeah. So when I was um, thinking about writing the book before I had really started the f- draft, I went online and was looking for other books about getting laws passed, but not like from a legislator. Obviously, there are a lot of books by senators and people like that that work in Congress, but people like the average citizen going to Congress and like what they experienced, and I didn't really find any. So then I thought, oh, this is both kind of annoying because I didn't have any real framework to work from, but also good because, you know, it's obviously something that should be out there that, you know, I think people will be interested in, especially the last, I mean, there's always been in this country kind of this feeling of protesting and activism and whatever, but I think it's gotten much stronger in recent years. And so I think it's important to show people that, you know, there are things, concrete things you can do, like how do you actually make change? You know, you can go out and protest and things, but how do you actually change a law or change, you know, the actual structure of what you're protesting about? Yeah, yeah, it's it's so fascinating. And so did when you wrote it did you hope that people would understand the legislative process and the history of the wasp at the same time or what was the purpose yeah so the the book kind of has three kind of stories involved is my grandmother's story and my life with her 
and then the legislative process, and then the history of the Women Air Force Service pilots kind of all together and how those things interact. And I tried to make it easy enough to understand the process so that people who don't know too much about it or just learned the basics in school can can read through it and understand like what actually happens when, you know, you need a law passed in Congress, like who do you talk to? And then what actually happens? How do you, what happens when they vote? And then, you know, that whole process. And when it becomes a law, where does that go? You know, what happens? And so I I was trying to include all of, all of those things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I learned so much. I loved how you put it together. It's, it's a really good book. I think all like juniors and seniors in high school (laughs) need to read it to learn like the history and like the legislative process just because I didn't know all that stuff. It was so fascinating. Yeah. And I've done talks at schools since this came out um, and several schools have my book in their library. And I think it's helpful. I agree to, to teach kids who are learning about government and history and things in school. It, it can be very abstract to learn about the constitution and all these things that are laid out. And like, what does it actually mean for you as a person if there's something that you don't agree with or needs to be fixed or whatever, like what actually happens and how does it affect people personally? You know, cause a lot of laws in this country are very very broad, you know, it's not like so specific as, so I think that's why this is also a good story because it's very particular. It's like pretty specific issue. So it's easier to follow the process. It's not like a big tax package or something. You know, It's like, we need this to happen. This bill says this and it will make this happen. So it's pretty easy to follow. Yeah, that's really true. And how did you go from like writing your story to getting it published? So I actually published it myself and started my own company. I sent the manuscript to some agents for publishing companies and things. And I'm like, they liked it, but they kept saying things like, oh, there's like a lot of memoirs on the market and things like that. So I don't know, whatever. But I was like, whatever, I'll just do it myself. And that way I can have control over what I'm doing and printing the books and where I go and who I talk to and how much I charge and keeping track of everything. And so it's, it's like a, a, it's a business. So I researched how to get all of that done. It was a lot of work, but people can do it, you know, and I already had, I knew I already had a bit of a, like a network. People were asking for it. So it's not like I wrote a book and nobody knew about me or who I was. Like we were in the newspaper, we were in all over the world. So it's like, there was already kind of a market for it. So I, you know, it's not like I went into it totally blind. So I think that was, you know, a good, that was all part of my thinking. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Especially like if you went to an agent and they were like, no, we don't really need this. And Yeah, like they they all said it was good. Nobody was like, this is horrible. Don't publish this. Like they were all like, this is really good, but I'm, you know, I'm not sure where I can sell it or whatever. You know, I was like, fine, I'll sell myself. (laughs) So what would you give advice if someone was considering writing a memoir or just any book, like how to get started or what piece of advice would you give them? So I actually... Before I started writing, or as I was doing the first draft, read a lot of books that were memoirs. And like I said, I looked for books about the legislative process, and I didn't find any that were not like a congressperson talking about what they had done, or like a history book. I wanted like a personal experience book, and I didn't find any. But I read um, quite a few memoirs, like 20 memoirs, to try to get the style down of how they present their story you know, and you can kind of see what your own style, like what you like and what you don't like and kind of pick and and see how you can fit your story in the parameters that these other people present their story in. 
And you can say like, oh, I think this worked, but this doesn't work. Or, you know, like in my book, I do a lot of back and forth in time because I felt like the really the inciting incident of my story is when my grandmother dies. But obviously you have to go back, you know, 70 years to explain where we got and there and how, how it, you know, how all of that stuff happened to why it was important that after she died, all this stuff happened. So you don't want to start back in like 1919 when my grandma was born and go on and on and into, you know, because it's like, it doesn't work. So you need to have like the inciting incident happen and then kind of explain from there. You know, and I've read just years ago, I've read lots of books about telling stories and how like the anyway, there's there's several famous books about like telling stories and how you put stories together. So you have to kind of present the incident and then kind of you get some background and then you kind of build to like what your goal is. And then once you get to the goal, kind of like the, the denouement of the story, you know, like the funeral and kind of dealing with things after that. And what does it mean like for all my grandmother and the legacy of the wasp? So did you write out an outline to come up with that or did you just write the book? I wrote in uh, not an outline in the sense of like writing pages, but I, I wrote out, I drew a line, an actual line on a piece of paper and wrote the chronological things that happened. Like my grandma was born and then the wasp and then, you know, I was born and then, you know, then the, my grandma dies and then the bill and the different dates during the legislation and then the funeral. So I could keep track of like, okay, here's the chronological thing and how do I present these different things in an interesting way? So it's not just going chronologically. So I had, I did start a couple different times trying to figure out how to present this information in the best way. And the book was much longer and like much, you know, not as good in my opinion, because there, I just was like involving everybody and talking about everything. And so my editor was like, okay, let's get all of these people that aren't that important out and all this stuff that's kind of just your memories and whatever that's not really integral to the story. And so it was good to have her because she could see that. And sometimes when you're writing the story, you can't see yourself some of these things. So it's good to have like a third party yeah. say, these are things that are important. And then say like, this person came in and I was confused about this person and they didn't really seem to really be that important to the story. So maybe we should just not talk about them. And so it was good to have someone say that. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like great advice and really helpful if someone's looking to get started. I just want to say thank you for your time and thank you for all the work you've done to share the stories of the Wasp because they're amazing ladies and people (laughs) need to know about them. And so I'm just really thankful that you wrote this book and we got connected and for being on the podcast today. Well, I thank you for having me and I thank you for your support of the book and you're doing a great thing trying to share the stories of women in the military. So I appreciate that. And I'm, I know my grandma would appreciate it too. My next guest is Rojan Robothon. She is currently serving in the Air Force and we actually talked about her experience in the military last year and her episode will be going live later this month. She and I did a book exchange after we did the interview and I gave her a copy of my book, Women of the Military in exchange for her book, Working Moms, How We Do It. It was really interesting to read not only about Rojan's experience of being in the military and being a mom, but also to hear the other stories that she collected. Let's hear about how this book came to be and some of the challenges she faced while writing it. Hi, Rosanne. I'm 
I'm so excited to talk to you today. Hello. So let's talk about what is the name of your book. I can see it behind you, but what's the name of your book and tell us a little bit about it. It's called Working Moms, How We Do It and is a collection of stories about active duty, military women and all the services and then some civil servants and civilians who were either married, unmarried, but we all have children and we're in the workplace. And so we're talking about how we manage our homes and our lives and our sanity. And why did you want to write a book about working women? So it started about a year before I wrote the book. I was having coffee at my office place with a young woman who reminded me of myself like 15 years earlier. She had just gotten married. She had married a civilian. She's active duty. Her husband was not. And she came to me and wanted to know how I was doing it, how I was married and have kids because she didn't think she could do it. And I sat there at lunch and I was like, you can do it. We're all doing it. You know, just get up and keep going. And when I left her and I was walking down the hallway back to my office, I just realized I'd failed her. She wanted detail. She wanted specifics. She was coming for meat and I gave her nothing. And so I committed after that to write my story about really what is it that I'm doing so I can share it better with her. And then I just expanded the circle and started asking other women who are successful in what they're doing with their homes and at work and asking them to share their story. And it all came together in a compilation now in the book. Yeah, and I really enjoyed reading the book because there were so many different perspectives and so many like commonalities, but also like minor tweaks on how people live their life differently and make it work. That's so true. You know, we're all women. We all have kids. We kind of all have the same goals for our children, for them to grow up and be successful and not mess them up in the world, you know. And at the same time, we want to be successful at work and how we all do it is a little different, but we're all striving for the same goals. Yeah. So did you learn anything about yourself or about working women while doing the book? I think it's kind of what we just touched upon there is that we have a lot more in common than we really think. And I also realized that we're not sharing that story. When I started talking to other women about the things they were doing, I was like, hey, I'm doing that. And hey, I'm doing that too. And we're just not having those conversations. Somehow we're sharing recipes, you know, we're sharing clothes or styles, but we're not really sharing the specifics on how we're running our lives. And so that's what this book tries to do is open up that conversation for women to have with each other. That's really good. That's so important. And we we do talk about like not things that don't matter. I guess recipes do matter, but like really how we are better moms and like tips of success. And especially I love how you're passing it down to the next generation coming behind you. And it's cool that that was your passion and who you wrote it for. You know, and I also discovered that there's a lot of books. If you go to the library or Google Leadership and Women, you'll find tons about how to be successful, how to show up, how to operate at work. But no one really talks about when you come home and you pull up that garage door and you enter into your home. Now, what do you do in that part of your life? And that's what this book really tries to address or tries to, you know, open the window, open the door for people to see in, at least on how a group of us are doing. Yeah. So how did you go about getting your book published? So I, you know, it's kind of like that perfect storm of things where I was thinking about doing this. And then I was actually approached by a group out of Georgetown University. It's where I did my undergrad. And so I guess I'm on the email list and they were starting a program for 
alumni who also wanted to be authors. It's called like the Creation, the Creator Institute. Now it's open for anyone. So if you go there, you don't have to be a Georgetown, you know, student or alumni to participate. And I thoroughly enjoyed the program. For me, it was valuable because I needed structure. I needed deadlines. I need someone to kind of commit me to making these goals because it's too easy for me to put it last on the list or slide it or when it got hard to just stop. But they were there to kind of keep pushing, encouraging me and help me over those hurdles. And I needed that. Yeah, that sounds like a great program. And I'll make sure to get the link from you so I can put it down in the show notes so that people can find it because that sounds great. And it really ties in good with my next question, which is what advice would you give to someone who is thinking about writing their own book? It's that. It's for me, I needed help. I needed support. I have a couple of friends who just started sitting down and writing, and that's awesome if that's you. I don't know, maybe that technical brain of mine, I spent too much time in the science field and to get to the creative writing aspect and kind of the storytelling, I needed help. I needed um, someone to kind of coach me along the way and to check me and to question my writing and all of that. And that's what I got out of that program. Yeah. And I've done, I think this is the fourth interview that I've done about with women veteran authors and they have all talked about having a resource or a coach or an editor or someone who pushed them to get the book done and so I think having help just like in the book we talk about like having help building your network it it ties in with writing a book too it totally does it all fits in I mean the sore concept from the book you can apply to you know writing a book you need support you need to be organized you need to aspire and want to get it done and then you need resilience because sometimes you just hit writer's block <laughs> that's so true thank you so much for sharing about your experience writing your book and I'll make sure to have it in the show notes so that people can go and order it and thank you so much for being on the show thanks Amanda for having me a part of the show I'm really appreciative my next guest is Kathy Galloway she served in the Air Force as a nurse and she wrote her book beyond thank you for your service to help bridge the gap between civilian bridge the divide between civilian and military there are many civilian civilians who want to help and support military veterans, families, and service members, but they don't know how to do it. And so her book gives people resources to bridge that gap and helps the civilian community know how to help veterans and that they can help veterans. So let's hear more about how she wrote this book and some of the challenges she faced. Welcome to the show, Kathy. I'm excited to have you here. Let's start with what is the name of your book and give me a short synopsis. Hey, Amanda, thanks for having me and all the really good work you're doing in this podcast. Really proud of you. Thank you. So my book is called Beyond Thank You for Your Service, the Veteran Champion Handbook for Civilians. And why did you write this book for civilians? Well, the crowning achievement of my 29-year Air Force career was being the Director of Community Outreach for the Ohio National Guard. Our team established a never-been-done-before statewide outreach program in response to 9-11 to educate and engage civilians in support of troops and their families. After retirement, I established my business Vanguard Veteran to continue this important work and do what I call equipping civilians to become veteran champions. So it was such a privilege to me when I was in uniform and since I've been out of uniform 
to really see firsthand how much civilians, our citizenry, really want to support those who are serving or have served and their families. But, you know, they have sincere interest in wanting to do more for us, but oftentimes feel very unprepared, uncomfortable, and, you know, maybe sometimes even really nervous about, you know, what to do, how to do it, and, and when. And so... I really wanted to share some practical strategies and make it easy for civilians to champion the needs of veterans, service members, and their families so that our service members come all the way home and have a maximum quality of life. And one other point, I contend and fully believe, Amanda, that when civilians get involved and creating mutually beneficial activities and services that everybody wins. Yeah, I I read your book because you sent me a copy. And reading it as a veteran, I was like, oh, yeah, civilians. (laughs) They could really help. There's so many civilians. And, like, when we're just veteran veterans, it's like a self-licking ice cream cone where we don't, like, expand. And so it was eye-opening to read as a veteran. And, you know, it's, it's just kind of the, the way things are, you know, typically in our, in, our, in our world, women advocate for women, African-Americans ad, advocate for African-Americans, veterans advocate for veterans. But you know what? No matter how much money our country has, and we don't have much, right? The Department of Defense and the VA are never going to be able to do it all to support service members, veterans, and their families. And and I believe that our citizenry has an opportunity, if not an obligation, to roll their sleeves up and do what they can to leverage their center of influence, to leverage their passions, and do more. And, 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 and before I get any further, I want to say, you know, our citizens love the military and are already doing a ton to support us, but there is yet so much more yet to be done. And I wanted to showcase some of those stories in my book so that people are like, just like you, oh, there is something different, something more that I can do because, you know, it's a big gap in our society that no one's really doing this important work to educate our citizenry on a reoccurring, ongoing basis. Yeah. Did you learn anything about yourself in the book writing process? Yes. Um, Frankly, I learned how hard it is to write a book (laughs) because it just takes a lot of discipline to sit down, write, rewrite, you know, and and just have the stamina because I'm a I'm, I'm basically an extrovert. I get a lot of energy being with people. I, I love to be out and about. And so sitting my butt in the chair to, you know, and having the, the brain power and the discipline and the motivation to really get her done, that was the hardest part for me. Yeah. And you talked about the writing and rewriting, and I'm working on a book right now. And I'm like, yeah, that's, you're like, I'm done. Oh, wait, I have to go back. <laughs> it, well, and it's hard to shut out the rest of your life, you know, taking care of your kids, your business, you know, your social life, your husband. It, it's just hard to put that all on pause and really focus on your message. You know, some of us are natural writers. Some of us have to work a little bit harder at it. But you know what? What a feeling to to get that behind you once it's done. 
So how did you go about getting your book published? Well, honestly, I was lucky in that I had a ghostwriter approach me and offer to support. And frankly, if she hadn't done that, and if I hadn't been committed through a contract to, you know, to help pay her for her expertise, it probably would have drug on forever. I got, we got it done in about seven months. It's about 150 pages. And so it just, it created that discipline, the external discipline for me to, to get it done because it's just so easy to be distracted in life. So true. That's yeah. so true. Yeah. So if you were talking to a woman veteran who was looking to write her own book on whatever topic, what would you recommend she does? Okay. The other part of your answer I failed to, to, oh. to mention is, you know, what did I learn about myself? Well, in my book, I don't know, you know, the first four chapters were really about my story. And, and, and why I came to understand how important veteran champions are because of my own personal struggles and journey. And so, as you know, Amanda, storytelling is so important and writing down what you've learned, who you are, really helps you heal. And so, um, for another woman veteran who might be willing to write the story, oh my gosh, our country needs so badly to hear from our woman veterans because we still are trailblazers no matter what your age stage job you know framework religion you know we're all trailblazers we women are and have so much important to teach other women who might consider joining but also what we bring post-military service to our workforce and to our community so what you have to say is important and it's worth fighting through the discipline and avoiding the distractions to get it written down so that we can share our knowledge and our experiences to help other people grow and, and become everything they can be, really. Yeah, that's such great advice. I, I mean, I heartedly agree since I have a podcast sharing the stories of military women. Yep. I think that the world needs to hear our stories because there's we're a forgotten group, but we've done so much and people need to know about what we've done. So, and, and, and I, you know, I, I'm a mother of three and um, one of my biggest struggles has been how do I feel good about myself as a wife, a mother and a career military officer? All three of those were equally important to me. And I really struggled over the years trying to, have, trying to figure out how to make that work. And the adaptability and the leadership and the personal growth that evolves because of it is, is pretty profound. But it doesn't come without a lot of self-awareness, struggle, and concrete commitment to growth. Yeah. So thank you so much for your time. Can you say your book title one more time so that people know what it is? I'd love to. And maybe you can even see it. It's called, no, that, that was failure. It's called, it's on the screen behind me, Beyond Thank You for Your Service, The Veteran Champion Handbook for Civilians. It's available on Amazon. My uh, website is vanguardveteran.com. I would love to hear from anybody who'd like to chat more about writing a book. And what I want to say is go for it and get her done. It's important. Yeah, and I'll have links in the show notes. So if people want to order or go to your website, they can easily. And thank you again so much for your time. Thank you. And if you do read it, please do me the honor of offering a review on Amazon because that helps. Amanda, thanks for everything you're doing. Happy New Year. And I look forward to our next discussion. Take care. My next guest is 
Mary Eater. She served in the Army on active duty and in the reserves and retired as a major general. Her new book comes out in August and it's called The Girls Who Stepped Out of Line, Untold Stories of the Women Who Changed World War II. And I'm really excited about this book to be released and to hear these amazing stories, but I don't want to give away too much, so let's just dive into the interview. Welcome to the show today, Mary. I'm so excited to have you here. Oh, I'm excited to be here and to talk about this, a book about these amazing people. So let's start with what is the title of your book and what is it about? Well, the title of the book is The Girls Who Stepped Out of Line. So let me tell you where that came from. In 2019, Alex Borstein won the Emmy for Best Supporting Actress for Mrs. Mizell. And when she accepted the award, she said, in World War II, my grandmother was in line to be shot into a pit. And she turned to the guard and said, what happens if I step out of line? And he said, well, I won't shoot you, but somebody probably will. So she stepped out of line. And for that, I am here today. And for that, my children are here today. So step out of line, ladies. Step out of line. So that's where the title came from. Well, I mean, I have chills running down my spine, so I I think you chose a great title. So that was September of 2019. I've been thinking about writing some of these stories I kept finding. So sometimes I've been asked in the past couple of years to do uh, speaking engagement and talk about leadership or ethics or women heroes for either it's a military women's history month or another like kind of event. And I found a couple of these amazing stories through reading obituaries, people I'd never heard of who had incredible courage and did amazing things. So I know that sounds odd to say I started through reading obituaries, but by then I was into finding these stories and collecting them. So my agent said, well, if you put all that together, that will be an amazing book. So all of these things came together at once. My agent saying, do this, the stories I've been finding, and then hearing that amazing story from Alex Borstein about her grandmother. And as I read these stories, some of them weren't that well done, but I got to feel like I knew these people. This isn't, these aren't old people far, far away in the past. This is yesterday. And in many ways, a lot of them did things that influence others today, and their legacy goes on. They built the path that we follow. So I wanted to talk about how they did that and what they did and what they faced and had to go through in order to do that. And I'm sure you learned a lot about these women. And did you learn anything about yourself while you went through this process of writing and learning? I learned a lot of things from them. Um, I learned that each one of them, they controlled their own image. So here is 98-year-old Mary Baracco, who's talking about what she did in terms of working with the resistance in World War II. And she was in Belgium. And if she wanted to tell you a part of her story or she wanted to tell you in a certain way, that was how she would tell it. So every one of them, I think, pretty well contained and projected how they told their stories over time. Some of them didn't tell it for years. Uh, They were either in units, if they were in the military, or they'd done things that were classified and they couldn't talk about them. So they had years and decades to process how to tell this story. One of the people I actually spoke with is Betty Bemis Roberts, and she was one of the people who worked in the Top Secret Ultra program. What she did was help build the Bombay machine that decoded Nazi messages, and then Japanese coded messages as well. Their program was so classified and compartmented, she didn't know for 30 years afterwards what exactly she built. She'd never seen it in total and seen it work until she went to the NSA's National Cryptologic Museum 
in 2017, I think, for a reunion to actually see what she had done. So she said nobody asked her. Her husband didn't ask her what she did in the war. He knew that she was in the Navy. She was a wave. Her kids never asked her. And she said, I never told anybody because I didn't ask. That really resonates with when I did a deployment series in 2017 and I interviewed women and I asked, what do people say when they find out you deployed? And so many women were like, well, no one knows, so no one asks. And I was just like... Or they don't know what it means. Certainly, one of the, one of the women I did a story about is, is Katie Nolan. Kate was a nurse. She wanted to be a air medic nurse, but that program was full. And we all know what that's like. Well, I want to do this. Well, I'm sorry, it's not available. Right. So she became a nurse in a heavy casualty field hospital where they moved every 10 days and were right behind the infantry and armor units going forward. She earned five battle stars. She went from Normandy all the way through the Battle of the Bulge to the end of the war. So reading her experiences, and you could tell some of them were written by people who didn't quite know what some of these things meant. So she was talking about the corpsman in her unit, C-O-R-P-S-M-A-N, medical corpsman. And I'm reading this article about her, and it's called a C-O-R-E-M-A-N. And you could tell they didn't quite know what core he was after or was doing. So having military understanding and background helps you look at a story and go, oh my, because you understand how deeply impressive it is. So for people who would say, well, she wasn't in combat, they were less than a mile behind the front lines. Her unit was shelled. They were bombed. They watched the Nazi convoys go by. They had to roll patients out of cots and lay on top of them during the shelling. So they had to do some pretty tough things. They never got to spend much time with these people. They were only with them a few days before they were moved to the rear, and then their unit would pack up and move again. And like everything else, what you learn in school about how to set up these tents doesn't apply in the real world. Yeah, these are amazing stories, and I'm so glad that you wrote this book. And it's actually not released yet, right? It's coming out later this year? It'll be coming out this summer, actually. Um, I think it will be released on August the 3rd, but just a few weeks ago, I got to see the galleys for the book, so I've seen how it looks with pictures, and that that was a great present for the holidays. It really was. Yeah, that sounds awesome. So how did you go about, you mentioned that you had an agent. How did you get connected with an agent and what has that process been like? This process is kind of a long-term one. You have to really, it's another world entirely for me coming out of the military to learn how to get into writing in a different way. Although I think I know how to write, I quickly found out I needed a little bit of a return to some of the basics in terms of grammar and structure and all of those things we try to forget from high school. <laughs> so I worked on learning the ba- relearning the basics, learning the structure, looking at the business world that is publishing, because it is a very different process and it has very different timeline. They take very long breaks at the holidays. So if you think you're going to be able to talk to an agent and perhaps write a pitch letter, it's not going to go that easily or that well, and it will take time. <clears throat> I went to several writers' conferences where they have classes and here's your best first page. Here's how to write your pitch, how to structure your story, how to build character. And there are several websites that teach a lot of these things and how to do it. So I've been to at least a couple of conferences going, okay, now I think I understand it. And they do bring in agents to some of these conferences. The one I went was in New York and it's for writers of thriller and mystery books, which is what I wanted to do. So you get to go in the room where there are agents, there's 20 or so of them, and they all have egg timers. 
and you have two minutes to sell yourself and sell your book. So if you don't have that, what we call an elevator pitch, the here's what it's all about and here's why you're going to love it. And here's why it's different and unique, but not too different, not too unique. If it's that different, then they don't want it. Right. Yeah, it sounds like, so one of the themes that I have found interesting in talking to all of you authors is that there's a lot of humbleness that goes into it and a lot of learning something that you thought you already knew. Like you said, I thought I knew how to write and then I learned to go back to the basics and all this learning and growing and the process of time. And so I thought that was really interesting that all the authors have that humbleness and that learning to start over in whatever process they're in. And I have certainly met people who are not willing to learn or ready to do that. So they're surprised when the system doesn't seem to work. Yeah. I've had the same experience, so I understand. So what advice would you give to someone listening who does want to become an author? What would you say is the first step that they need to take? I think it is to write every day. You write your thoughts, you write a journal, you write a story, you have an idea, you write all of it down and you keep it. Sometimes we all have our brains work in different ways. You know, I'm the editor in the morning. I can fix things and make them more organized. And I'm the creative person in the afternoon. So I can write something in the afternoon and the next morning, the other side of the brain will come in and fix it. So I think it's learning your process and what works for you, but it's never stopping working at it and enjoying it when you do it. That's such great advice. That's such great advice. I really love it. Thank you so much for being on the podcast and for sharing about your book. And I'll make sure to link to it in the show notes so that people can find it. And just thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you. And my last guest is Shannon Polson. She served in the Army and was one of the first women to be an Apache helicopter pilot. And her book, The Grip Factor, helps organizations and people overcome resistance and lead with authenticity. I really enjoyed this interview because we talked about not only Grip Factor, but her first book, North of Hope, which was a memoir. And so it was interesting to hear the reflection of an author who's not only wrote a memoir, but wrote The Grip Factor, which is a leadership type book and totally different than a memoir style book. So I'm excited to share this interview with you. So let's dive right in. Hello, Shannon. I'm excited to have you here. Thanks. It's great to be with you. So let's start with what is the name of your book and tell us a little bit about it. Sure. Yeah. The Grit Factor and the subtitle is Courage, Resilience, and Leadership in the Most Male-Dominated Organization in the World came out from Harvard Business Review Press in September of 2020. And it really is a not just a compilation, but actually a synthesis of stories, lessons learned, and tactical takeaways from leaders in the vanguards of their fields. They happen to be women and they happen to be military. But it's the net result of a three-year project of interviewing lots of women across the services, across generations from World War II to the present, and really taking this benefit of these incredibly generously shared stories and lessons learned to be able to pass on to others. That sounds amazing. And Mary Eater was the interview before yours and hers is like similar but different. And it's just so cool the different stories you get to hear of women that so many people don't know about. 
For sure. And, you know, there's different ways to present uh, uh, information like this and stories like this. The way that I really thought that would be helpful for people is to take the concepts and make the concepts the lead. And then they're supported by those stories and those lessons learned and actually all of the research that goes into supporting that well as well that comes from, you know, the fields of psychology and, and management and leadership. So it was a lot of fun and a lot of work, uh, but I'm incredibly grateful to have it out in the world. Did you learn anything about yourself as you went through this writing process journey? Yeah, I mean, this is my second book. My first book is called North of Hope, A Daughter's Arctic Journey. It's a much more personal book. Uh, It's a memoir about a trip up to the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge, and it follows a trip that my father and stepmother had taken the year before when they were killed by a grizzly bear. So it um, weaves those two stories together. So I've done the, the process of writing a book in the past. It's a much longer and more creative and windy journey than I expected, I think, because I had you know, of course, been an English major in college and had written all my life and that this would just be a natural extension of that. But it really is its own journey altogether. So I think I learned that I had a lot to learn (laughs) and and continue to have a lot to learn, really. I mean, the first book was a memoir. The second book is, it's really a leadership book. It's really a solid nonfiction book. And uh, and I had thought that that would be easier because it was a little bit less personal. But um, I would say that they were equally demanding in different ways. That's so interesting. I think it's been interesting to interview all these authors and you guys all talk about like the humility and the learning that it takes to write a book. And especially because you wrote two books and you said that they, they were two different genres, but then they were like two different experiences where you continued to learn and continued to grow. So that's, that's fascinating. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting. I think I've heard somebody say once that um, nobody expects to just pick up a violin and be able to play like Itzhak Perlman, right? And um, nobody be, even though we've all sung to some degree since we were children, children's rhymes or children's songs and maybe sing at church, nobody expects to be an opera singer. So it's a funny thing that there are, uh, there's this tendency to think that just because you've, you've written a school paper, you can necessarily just sit down and, and uh, pop out a book. So I think it is, it is absolutely an exercise in humility. But that's a, that's a wonderful thing. You know, it really is. It's been a wonderful process in both cases, uh, maddening at times and repetitive at times and dogged at times and certainly lonely, but absolutely a, a learning process. And learning is, is something that I love. And so who would you say the grip factor is for? Like who, who, who should read your book? You know, I wrote The Grip Factor as the book that I wish that I had had either starting out in the military. And I was, you know, I was at at Duke in ROTC, Duke University. I was an English major, um, did a lot of art history, and then was commissioned as a second lieutenant at the same time that I received my diploma. So I was ROTC, but then went active duty. I was one of the first women to fly the Apache helicopter in the U.S. Army and served on three continents, leading three different line uh, units before transitioning through my MBA, went through the tuck school at Dartmouth, and then served time in the corporate world as well, also leading outstanding teams. And so as I approach the grip factor, I come from the military experience, you know, coming at it through ROTC, 
I come at it through my experience doing my MBA and spending time in the corporate world also. So really this is for any leader who is either starting out or making a significant transition, I think. But really it's for anybody at all who wants to continue to develop themselves, continue to uh, to learn new skills, and, and frankly, find the camaraderie that comes from this incredible group of leaders who so generously and vulnerably share their stories. So I hate to say that it's for everyone, but I think of it as for everyone. <laughs> so. It's like the one thing you're not supposed to say, but then you're like, but it really is for everyone. Well, it is. And- and I would say it's for people who are who are facing challenges, facing change, looking for the stories that will help to support them, looking for the, the research that goes into what underpins those stories, and then actually gives real tactical takeaways. So if you're truly interested in coming away with motivation, inspiration, and the tactics to be able to apply to a challenge or to apply to a time of change, then The Grit Factor is absolutely your book. Yeah, that sounds really great. And my last question is what advice would you give to someone who's an aspiring author and wants to either write a a memoir or a book like you where it's a compilation of stories? Yeah, approach the journey. Approach it as a journey. I um, I would say, and this is what I tell people all the time who who have not yet written their book, there's a different uh, set of advice for those who have written the book, but I would start to look for writing classes and writing groups and start to do that work. Uh, write some smaller pieces, some smaller articles or essays that are in the genre that you'd like to write and start to work on submitting those and getting those published. Um, that will help you actually with your publishing later. Uh, but it also gets you into the habit of writing and it also gets you into the work that needs to be done and helping to understand the work that needs to be done, which until you sit down to do it, you, you just don't understand. The second thing is to read and to read widely and to read well. So I am um, actually almost allergic to something that is written poorly. I literally will put it down and never pick it up again because I know how much we're influenced by what it is that we read. So read things that are written very, very well, and then really look into what makes them written well. Why are they written well? How is it that you can learn from that? So it's the act of both reading and writing that makes a writer, and it's a much longer process than you'd think. So you have to enjoy the journey. But if you enjoy the journey, it's a wonderful one. Yeah, that's really good advice. I'm currently working on my first book, and I've learned so much in my writing career of starting as a blogger and to where I am today. And it's like all that writing. I learned so much. Once my sister was like, she read an article I recently wrote and she's like, wow, you actually know how to write now. And I was like, yeah, I guess I've learned a few things over the years and it's a process and it's a journey that makes a lot of sense. You no, know, I mean, just like if you were going to run a 10K, you'd, you'd find a coach, you'd find a running group, right? Finding those writing groups, finding those writing classes that you can do online where you're getting that feedback, where you're doing exercises are, are really just incredibly valuable. So I would recommend that to anybody starting out. Yeah, that's great advice. And I'll link to your books in the show notes so that people can find them easily. Great. And we're going to have Shannon on the podcast in the future. You, If you listen, you probably know I'm months in advance ahead, but uh, we'll have her on so you'll be able to check that story out later. So thank you so much for being on the podcast. Absolutely. Thank you, Amanda. Best of luck to you. I look forward to talking again. I want to thank all my guests for being on the podcast this week. I've really enjoyed reading their books and getting to meet them and to talk to them about writing as a fellow author. It was interesting to hear their experience of writing a book and becoming published authors. 
And on Thursday's episode, I wanted to mention that I'm interviewing another woman veteran author. This week, my guest will be Allie Brasa, and she's talking about her experience in the Navy. Her book is Flawed But Still Worthy and talks about her experience in the Navy and her transition to civilian life. So if you want to hear another story from another woman veteran author, make sure you come back on Thursday to hear her story. This week's episode of Women of the Military Podcast. Do you love all things Women of the Military Podcast? Become a subscriber so you never miss an episode and consider leaving a review. It really helps people find the podcast and helps the podcast to grow. Are you still listening? You could be a part of the mission of telling the stories of military women by joining me on Patreon at patreon.com slash women of the military or you can order my book Women of the Military on Amazon. Every dollar helps to continue continue the work I am doing. Are you a business owner? Do you want to get your product or service in front of the Women of the Military podcast audience? Get in touch with the Women of the Military podcast team to learn more. All the links on how you can support Women of the Military podcast are located in the show notes. Thanks again for listening and for your support.